The Athletic. Hello, welcome to the Beautiful Lane, everybody. The award-winning Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. Uh, joining me, your host, Danny Kelly, live from Athletic HQ, because we're all in the room together, which is rare. I'm delighted to say, from The Athletic, James Moore, Tim Spears, and Charlie Eccleshire. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hi. Right, there's three different voices, slightly all different tone. That was good. On today's episode, it's all about the first 100 days of the Postacoglu era. Big Ange, the candidate for change, as Charlie describes in his brilliant article, which is up on the site and available for all subscribers to read in full. We'll also talk about Richarlison after he spoke out about his own personal struggles away from football, but clearly they're affecting him on the field. And we'll preview the Sheffield United game as the Premier League, hooray, returns this weekend before we're done. I absolutely love this international break while hating the idea of international breaks. Um, so I can, I'm conflicted enough to say I'm delighted when it's back. Let's start with the international break and a bit of a news roundup, everybody. Who saw Basuma becoming Messi this weekend? Mm. I mean, already advanced as a player this season, and now he's the new Messi. Have you seen this, Tim? Yeah, incredible. Absolutely so describe, describe it for the, for the heart of seeing. Uh, um, so he kind of does this this shimmy towards the, the byline and then uh, astonishing quick feet, and then somehow manages to, to cut it back. Uh, and one defender and then the goalkeeper challenges him and he leaves them both on their bum. Yeah, yeah? so he does the goalkeeper that's, that's most exciting about that. Yeah, and the speed of the feet. I, I don't think I've ever actually seen him use his feet that quickly before. It's quite remarkable. It is amazing. It makes it clearer why, how and why he's able to, he has the confidence to drop into his own box, drop a shoulder and lose like two attacking players because that is a proper high wire act to do that. But when you see him doing that to the goalkeeper, like, yeah, I'd, I'd probably be that confident. If well, I I think we've not seen him in the opposition penalty area that many times. I not the opposition, but yeah. I mean his own area. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's, you know, which is sort of the riskier place to be doing that. Is that. True. that yeah, is true. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it was a, an extraordinary piece of skill, and I suppose all professional footballers can do it. But if that's in his locker as well as the stuff that you say, Charlie, that he does in his program, then we may yet to have seen that we're yet to see the best of Bissouma. Um, the next question that's been written for me here on a piece of paper. Um, I don't even want to think about this because I'm not up for selling our best players. But it is a fact that um, deep-lying defensive midfielders um, are now the, currently the most expensive item in world football. So in the unlikely event that Spurs were to sell him, Basuma would be make, turning a pretty profit now because everything that we thought he was going to be at Brighton, after, look, it's three games, four games, but he does look like he's going to be fantastic. Elsewhere, interesting, I thought James Hoiberg um, dropped from the Spurs team now. Um, because they don't need, a, yes, another defensive midfielder. But he was going forward for Denmark and scored in both their goals during the international, both the games during the international break, including, I mean, it, it wasn't it wasn't David Beckham. It was a decent shot from distance that scored the winner late on in the second game they had. Okay, I've not seen that. But I mean, I think we're quite used to seeing him go away and play for Denmark in a far more sort of attacking way than he does for Spurs. You mean the one that gets him into the team of the tournament and things like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you look at that, how he performed in, in those Euros, I mean, he was amazing. Uh, probably less so in the World Cup. But L- yeah, lower I, level not really standard, a isn't it? Internationals. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, who was that against? Like Luxembourg or someone? Um, I, I can't remember. It wouldn't have mattered because the way he hit the ball, unless you had somebody extraordinary in the goal, it wouldn't have been stopped anyway. But yeah, I take the point about levels. The Premier League is better than international football by and large, isn't it? Yeah, he also put an Instagram picture of him with his mum saying something like, mummy's boy today, match winner yesterday. Yeah. Can you describe yourself? It's a bit it's a bit arrogant, isn't it? Describe yourself as the... Ma- I mean, it's technically correct, but 
don't know. It felt a bit self-aggrandizing for I, my taste. Um, I don't know, Tim. I don't know if anyone around here is actually a Viking stock. I think. I think when you've um, when you've conquered and pillaged half the world, you you, t- t- you don't tend to think you're not great, do you? Yeah, but Viking. I'd imagine the, they'd be. I don't know. They'd let their pillaging do the talking. I don't. I don't. Think <laughs> be, I don't. I don't think they'd be self-aggrandizing in that way. It's my perception of Vikings. But you're a remarkably modest chap, Charlie. Thanks yeah. very much. Yeah. Oh, it's up now. This was That's against not a compliment, Finland. by the way. <laughs> this was against Finland. Maybe this is slightly offensive, but it, it, that sort of feels a bit sort of Vikingy, right? Sure. Who Finland? No, the Finland. Finns. The Finns are Slavs. They're not. They're not even. Oh, okay. They're not even Scandies, are they? Well, they staved off Russia, though, right? So they're hard. Absolutely. And today on the on the radio show I was doing, we were doing. Have you got sporting <laughs> grandparents? Someone said my grandfather is Finnish. When I asked him what sport, he said, "Oh, nothing much." He said. Um, cross-country skiing and uh, shooting bears. Um, <laughs> and I, I then translated the fact that they're all crack shots, the Finns. Two, they've got national service. And three, they, they do shoot bears. And so if you want to attack their huge border, Russians, come on, because we saw already in the early 40s, they are on skis and very accurate with, with rifles. <laughs> Tough place to go. The other thing that happened um, on the international break was Harry Kane doing his best to be diplomatic and tiptoeing along with the, with, the, with the press, managed in the eyes of some people to insult Spurs. Did you feel insulted by what he said about their, their attitude to winning compared to Bayern Munich? I didn't. I don't think I felt insulted by it, but I, I was, uh, and this may not come as a surprise to too many people, I was rattled by it. To me, it kind of, it sort of hinted at an issue with his own mentality when he played for Spurs. I, mean, this is the, one I like the, the way people are turning this around on him. This is good. He was one of the... I mean, to say he was one of the senior players the whole way through would obviously be untrue, purely based on the chronology. But he's but, been the most impo- one of the most important players in the right. team for a decade. He's, yeah, exactly. Yeah, He was, you know, it, it, from 2015, even earlier than that, he was obviously a player that the others were looking to, to, to drag them on. To me, it almost suggests that he he is almost projecting that. And it, look, I'm sure there are other players in that dressing room who felt, that, or perhaps there were other dress, players in that dressing room that felt the same. But for, for him, the star man, to be saying... Didn't feel like that big a deal. Like, I don't remember Bale saying anything like that when he left and obviously won a shed load of trophies with Madrid or, or Modric or whoever else. And that long list of players he'd yes, been through before yes. of players that have won trophies after Joe Hart, left. yeah. yeah. I'm sure Cameron Carter-Vickers yeah. was yeah. saying that. Yeah, he, he, exactly. It is interesting, though. Conte said something similar. I'm sure that'll make fans even more rattled and more angry. You see, now you're like, I was okay, but, and now you're really yeah, yeah. upsetting me. Conte said that it, soon after he joined about that, the players weren't sort of gutted enough... Um, but well, Harry Kane is one of the players. But look, I mean, and Tim, what struck me, and I'll, I'll take your view on this, is that, you know, if you play in a league where only one team tends to win the league, um, I'm sorry, with all due respect to the Rangers, Celtic or Bayern Munich, one of those teams, of course defeats are going to hurt because you expect to win every single game. If you're playing in the Premier League, every week, you're, I mean, suppose you're playing Sheffield United this weekend and nobody could honestly say they know the outcome of the game. In Germany, I could probably predict... 70% of the results uh, this weekend, particularly Bayern Munich's results. Do you, you're neutral. Were you filled with fury at what Harry had to say about <laughs> the poor old Spurs? Uh, so I sort of, I saw the, for, I saw that there was a Ferrari. Oh, there was a brouhaha uh, and, and, as and, well and then, going on. And then, and then, and then I googled the comments to to find out what it was about. Were they under it innocuous? <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was on a website and I thought it was one of those things where you have to sort of do a survey to find out more. I was like, right, there must be more to this, right? I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but I just, you can't pour over every sort of syllable and, and word this guy says. It was, I'd like to see him actually say it and then you know what the context of the question was maybe but just in terms of what he said I mean what's 
Bayern Munich won the league for the past ten years. It's obviously going to be a different mentality and a, and a different. I mean, pressure. they shouldn't have won it this year. They lit, but Dortmund literally um, did a wee through their own letterbox on their prospects in the last day against yeah. Mainz. But they, but they, but the fact is, they have won it ten years running. They should expect to win football matches. Exactly. So, there's, so, so, so it's a massive deal when they don't win a game, right? That's what we're kind to allude to here. Yeah. That's not that's not the case. Yeah, I suppose. it wasn't. It wasn't a big deal. Without being unfair, hey, you turned over a new league. Get to reel this one back in a second. I mean, tell me a big game towards like the end of a league season, or certainly in like a cup competition, like a semi final or a final, where Kane, where Harry Kane, had a brilliant game and dragged that team on. Obviously, he did that loads of times in league seasons. Yes, and even in kind of Champions League earlier in the competition. Yeah, if, if, but like I, when they got to the final of a Champions League. He got himself injured. Not fit, yeah. You know, wasn't fit in the final, although I certainly wouldn't dispute he should have played. Had no effect All on the, the game domestic against Chelsea finals. back in yeah. the day in that League Cup final. Yeah, and the semi-finals as well. I yeah. mean, you know, he scored in the 2017 yeah, FA Cup semi <laughs> No, I, I, I do think it it's is... just scoring tappings like... against Phil. Thought most people were right. No, his defenders would say, look at his record in London bad. derbies where we relied on him to keep us, you know, keep Chelsea and Arsenal at arm's length in games. But, you know... A lot of pens, though. If you're being <laughs> yeah. if you're being super critical, um, finally the truth is out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he was. I mean, he's glad he's gone. Yeah, yeah, he was holding this team back. I do think it is interesting though with him, and I was thinking about this on that theme of like, because I think in one of the interviews I read where I saw those quotes, um, it was referred to that maybe in the biggest biggest games like finals, the Euros final, Euros Euro semi. Though I think he did score the winner. Admittedly, it was a rebound off his own penalty. penalty. I know, but that still he scored the goal that took Which England is great. So to cathartic. the Euros. Yeah, but I, re- I do remember we spent ten years having to defend this guy while everyone yeah. else has been having yeah. a go. We're, we're coming around. We're time. coming around to he's no Mark Falco in a minute, yeah. aren't we? I do remember well, having teenagers. having a conversation. I think it was with Jack in the 21-22 season, and he because he had that game against uh, City away, and that was at, and where he did you know he scored last minute winner. That was a proper like moment. Yeah, February. Yeah. In in the February, yeah. So not yeah, not in the running. Okay, but still, you know, <laughs> against a team that were like unbeatable, they were on a mad run, hadn't lost at home for well, ages. They always beat him. That was so that was one. But they're, quite often they're, without him as well. By the way, I'm I'm defending you here. But there maybe weren't as many, we realised, as you might think for a player who'd scored but I think that we found volume that. of when goals. When we did the goodbye Harry Cat, no, when he broke the record, yeah. we were talking about like the definitive moment and Jack was talking about there not really being a, you know, like a big moment in a big game. Well, you, you, the argument would be, is it because Kane doesn't play well in the big games they haven't won the trophies or is it because Spurs don't win trophies that Kane hasn't had a big moment? You can't blame it all on... What I will say... Though, I mean, we're all gentlemen of a certain vintage around this table. Some of us more vintage than others, and we we know now. And this is for this is for teenagers who spend their times on TikTok trying to find out about the human condition. Uh, I think what you need to know first thing you need to know is that love is not the opposite of hate. The opposite of love is indifference. And when Harry Kane got that third goal in Glasgow the other day, when normally when he scored for England, I'd be banging on the side of the armchair because A, it's Harry, B, it's Spurs. He's extended the record. I didn't feel a thing. So I've gone from proper man crush to he's all right. I got, you know, he's England captain. That's all right. Didn't feel a thing when he scored the goal. Got closure. Less than a month. Less than a month. Right. The central um, theme of tonight, of today's podcast is... Your article, Charlie, where you've written about the first 100 days of Ange. Now, I love this concept, this this conceit, because this comes out of um, historians dealing with particular European revolutions 
And they always go back to, then what happened in the first 100 days? France, Russia, the German Revolution in the middle of, of the First World War, etc. And when you're now applying it to new managers of football yeah, clubs. Well, it was FDR in 1933. Oh, this is what I like to hear. He, he did yes, a radio he, address talking about his first 100 days. And he was going to do the, the dams and all the rest of it, yeah. And since then, it's become a thing for US yeah. presidents. It's always on April 30th. Not three months, 100 days. 100 days. Yeah. yeah. It's April 30th because January 20th is inauguration. Now, it wasn't when FDR was president. Uh, we, we moved it slightly because we did it when he was appointed rather than when he actually technically started, but he was basically already doing the job anyway, so it was fine. Um, but yes, it felt like a good jumping off point. What are your thrusts? What do you think he's done? So we can all disagree with you violently. Well, I, so there are two things. One is sort of, what's changed on the pitch. But I think it yeah. started with like the office stuff and some of his big themes have been, so culture was like the big buzzwords uh, for that 72 day search this summer, you know, changing the culture. Obviously that's quite a nebulous term, means different things to different people. One of his big things has been about empowering people, be that the players or the staff. And so for instance, some of the changes he's done is now the players and the staff don't stay at the team hotel before home games. They get to stay at home. In a way, it's kind of like, look, we trust you to look after what yourself. What could possibly go wrong? Oh, yeah. You but avoid that... lasagna gate, surely. Yeah, yeah, you're you decreasing avoid... your chances of you uh, avoid lasagna gate, neurovirus. And you're saying to players that you're all adults, we trust you. But he implied that Basuma turned up late for de- training, not once, but the first Has, two days. Hasn't been since, though. The first no. two days back at, back, at, back at school, he's late for training. Not since that pep talk. And generally with the players... I don't think you call it a pep talk. It with, has too many connotations. This, this true. Concept. Okay. Just copying yeah. pep talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, he's basically... The, me- the message to the players has been, you know, you guys, I trust you guys to sort it out. I'm not going to be here to, you know be your dad despite this reputation he has for being very paternal he's he's often not you know he he likes to empower people so the dressing room is their space you've got son uh madison romero and i think you know it's a dressing room that a lot of people have said is full of these people who can't be managed and who are whingers etc etc he doesn't see it that way i think they're responding well to that and then with staff one of the issues with Conte was people felt there was, you know, they were they couldn't really have a life outside of the club because schedules would change at the last minute. That now everyone gets scheduled for the month ahead. Look, this these are going to be the days off. This is when we train, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And obviously there might be last minute changes and things, but th- there's just an empathy and understanding that these are humans. Um, and you think of like how the medical staff well, we'll get onto it. He's probably going to need it with Richarlison, is he? For instance, well, yeah, you know. exactly. And I think that is that's that will be really interesting. To see but how I, he deals I mean, that. that thing about Conte. That, uh, sorry, you may have said this before. I hadn't quite taken that on board. You can't do that to people, you no. know. People need to know roughly. Oh, look, there's always an emergency. We all get called back into his office because the Super League has started. You tear up what you've done before and you write something new. Obviously, you broadcast something new. But by and large, people, they're human beings. They need to know that they, that they can go and pick the kids up from ballet exactly. and all the rest of it, don't they? Tim, what have you made of the first 100 days off the pitch, this so-called culture change? Yeah, I, I, some of the details are, are startling, really. It just uh, it just kind of shows you um, how much of a disciplinarian and regimented with these tough rules that that Conte had after you know to, after after two years of that to go. Uh, this often happens in football. You know, you go from one cycle to the other, and the players embrace it so much, and they will obviously love that freedom on and off the pitch. Um, but yeah, you, you, you see it at a lot of clubs. You know, if you have a manager who's who's obsessed with meetings and details and gets bogged down and the results aren't going well, you're just craving the opposite. And it's be interesting to know if uh, Levy and others got feedback from the players on that when they were looking to appoint Postecoglou specifically because they knew that he has this style to him. Well, there is definitely a sense that the players have been especially receptive to these ideas quite quickly because they really 
were very open to something different and and something yeah you mentioned about team meetings they're a lot shorter now than what they were apparently they could go on you know up to about an hour under content and they would always overrun you now, can't edit down a team meeting yeah, it's, now, not like, now, it's not like a podcast now, yeah exactly now they're sort of 15 20 minutes a lot quicker training is said to be a lot more fun more varied and also more intense and something actually just on the on-pitch stuff Internally, apparently some of the numbers are really, really impressive for things like running, distance covered. Dejan Kulusevski has yeah. been announced today has run more than... Dejan Kulusevski has run more than any other player in the Premier League and in one game broke the record for the season. Yeah. Well, there was a game... You could have given me the guesses and I'd been thinking about Pesuma and people like that, but I wouldn't have thought about, about Kulusevski, but... So I think the average for an outfielder is about 10, 11 Ks normally in a Premier League game. And there were more... There were certainly multiple who covered more than 13 really putting a shift in and I think it's in and comparison with, with the inverted fullbacks though of course the wide forward players have got an awful got, lot of pitch yeah, to patrol totally. and internally there's been you know comparisons like Klopp's Liverpool in the early days remember how like intense that was yeah. what I think is interesting was that was kind of more obvious rock and roll a bit manic this feels it had its own title and everything exactly but this I don't think you'd watch this Spurs team and necessarily think that it's a bit more deceptive that intensity but um yeah, I think I think the fact they've taken to it so quickly is amazing. Just to go back to the point Tim was making about almost how easy it is to flip to a completely different style of management when it's gone sour with the opposite style. I think Daniel Levy's kind of almost pioneered that as a method because I think you can go back like 20 years now, maybe even slightly longer and kind of trace like they've had one type of manager, like a sort of, they'd had like just disciplinarians with kind of strict tactical setups and then flipped to someone a bit more sort of, you know, like you know, like a sort of higher end, a bit more lighthearted, a yeah, bit more Yol, kind of, you know, go out Red and Nat, run. Pochettino and this fella, yeah. they're, the, they're then, the good bloke managers. Then you've and got then they've had all to the others. bad yeah. cops as well, haven't they? Yeah, yeah, the problem yeah. is they had three, had three bad cops in a row. I like the way you're, you're, you're very kindly there, perhaps uncharacteristically kindly, um, disguising a lack of strategy as a kind of plan that he's had. I mean, that's one way of looking at it, yeah. <laughs> My favourite example of that is always what, because England used to do something similar. And when they went from Sven to Capello, <gasps> I, I, admittedly with McLaren in between, but Sven, you know, it was, it's a circus, you know, they've got the wags in, we can't be doing that. Get Capello in, he'll get them sorted out. Then he was off and it was like, no, we need someone more relaxed. The players couldn't breathe. Yeah, get the wags back. I mean, all of that reached a kind of mad climax for me. I'm sorry, off and all foot, we always fall back on personal experience. I was in Germany for the World Cup for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I was in, can't remember which city it was. And suddenly the England coach appeared and it flew past us um, with, with four motorcycle outriders at the front and four motorcycle outriders at the back. And I said to a policeman who stood nearby, I said, oh, the England team. And he said, no. Just said it on the radio. That's the wives of the England team being shuffled from one shopping centre to another with a police escort. That was never going to happen under under Don Fabio, was it? No, exactly. Look, but the only thing I'll say about um, off the pitch, and I'm going to again, there's an element of confession here. I may have been part of the problem in my own mind because that fantastic Spurs team of five years ago. I've been loathe to say that. I've said the opposite, that the goalkeeper was fading, that Dyer wasn't the player he was when he was playing in central midfield, and so on and so on. I've hung on to that team maybe too long. The interview that really, really impressed me was when he talked about the nature of change, Postacoglu, mm. and he said, you can't want change and get change unless you change something. Yeah. And of course, look, all right, he's talking to us like idiots because we are um, idiots. But it's true. What he's done is change things. I mean, as we've said this before on the podcast this season, the starting lineup contains three, sometimes four, of the people who finished at the end of last season. Yeah. It's an absolute revolution. But 
He is right. I don't want to admit it because I'm emotionally tied to some of these players, but if you don't change it, it won't change. Now, it might change for the worst, but at least he was asked to change it. He's changing it. Very impressive. Totally. He is, uh, you know, the change candidate. He's come in on that ticket, if you like. That's been, that's kind of his manifesto. And he, so far, he has, he has been true to that word. Like, the, yeah, the, the personnel, I mean, there's probably five players who've played in the first three games, if you include Saar, who weren't, you know, weren't regulars in the team. I mean, obviously there's Madison, there's Udogi, there's Vicario, there's Van der Ven, and then Saar. That's, that is a huge amount of Arkan change. Arkan Basuma as well. And Basuma, I guess, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and who knows if Brandon Johnson suddenly displaces the all-running style of, of Kulusevsky, mm. we could be... Look, it is, he I, can I, run I, even more now because he knows he can have the last 20 minutes <laughs> off. I'd say the... The the changing of the leadership group has been one of the most impressive yeah. parts of it because obviously you know three of them are still at the club you know Larice, Dyer, and Hoiberg. So to, I told you they'll all be in the twenty-five. By the way, the, the, these are obviously. I was trying to get James there. He nodded very shyly in <laughs> return. They're obviously good players and good people, and no one's sort of doubting their experience and their leadership. So there's a tough there's a tough decisions there to make. To, to either put them on the fringe of the dressing room or, or even out of the team. I noticed less than a dozen games before the next transfer window. I still feel that it's those three players may all make significant contributions. Yeah, before, they, they, they might. But, the but, but to show to the rest of the squad that, look, this is a new broom and despite you being good, really good professionals, right? Yeah. I'm sure by all accounts for all these guys. So to, to push them out is, is, is brave, but to do it in a respectful way, which it seems like he has, is even more impressive, really. And I think it will be interesting because all the noises coming out, I suppose, that Ashley Phillips is probably ahead of Dyer at this point, you know, in, in that pecking order. And you think they're one injury away from, well, maybe, you know, could be Ben Davis, I suppose, could slot in. But it'll be really interesting if he does go for Phillips, who's 18, ahead of Dyer, who, you know, has been there almost a decade, close to 50 England caps, very experienced players. We, we should see. I'm not sure about that. You think, I, you I, think I, he I, wouldn't? I, I, I don't know. Kind of, I think that's, right. you can have that as your intention. It's Sunday morning. You're and you're looking at the team sheet for a game at Anfield, and you've got Eric Dyer and, and an injured yeah, at the back. I, I think he'd be more fearful of Dyer in that high line against against say a Liverpool attack. Well, I, I really think the way he talks and what he's done before with playing young players, I think he might well. So that, might, that might be the case in the first game, but if it doesn't work out, and it's what you do in the second game if it hasn't worked. By the way, of those three players, Hoiberg will play loads. Yeah, like I'd be confident he'll play a lot of football. Like, well, you know, come the African nations, he'll have to, won't he? But that that is true. But like those midfielders, are obviously putting a shift in. Like he is going to play twenty minutes minimum more in every Who, game. Who's up for my campaign to get the Afri to get the Premier League stopped during the African yeah. nations? Uh, there are you know football league games get called off when clubs have like well I think three is the cutoff yeah. right. And if we ha if Son's going to be away at the same time, is that right? Yeah, Charlie? yeah, yeah. So Spurs will have three first team players missing. If Bolton Wanderers can get their game called off because they have three players Yeah, they were, they were down to like, what, two games in League One at the weekend? Like, why of... would Spurs not have their games called off? It, it, no, we saw some of the things. Look, let's not go on about Foxy <laughs> Ren again. I oh, know, Spurs have got the game called off. It's, it's, it, it is <laughs> We've seen some of the stupid stuff that games have been called off. Of. There was a club. Well, the North London another Derby. Club, another club yeah. in North London got a game called off for, you know, slightly spurious reasons. It's, it's unfortunate that Spurs' two players have emerged in midfield in the first four games happen to be active internationals for African countries. And it's unfortunate because, of course, we had all this and then the AFCON got moved to the European summer, didn't it? And there's then whatever happened, forgive me, I can't remember why it's been moved back now into the middle of the winter. Is it this not one. See, where was Ivory Coast? Well, of course, this is where it traditionally always was. Yeah. And you had to be aware of that when you mm. bought African players. But 
Then they changed it and now it's back to where it is. But James and I were doing that pathetic thing a couple of weeks ago of like looking at whether Mali had qualified for AFCON and they have. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Um, talk to us about on the pitch, because uh, all this is lovely. Change, you've got to have change. Um, making sure that you know that everyone's comfortable, inspiring, leadership groups, all the rest of it. It doesn't matter a fig, does it? Um, no. If, if it does, it's not reflected on the pitch. No, and I should say as well that there's every chance that all of these positive things, if and when it doesn't work, will be saying the exact opposite. You know, that he gave them too much freedom. Oh. You know, he needed to be more of a disciplinarian. If anything, they had too much tomato ketchup. Exactly. So, yeah, we've got to be very careful when the first defeats come. Yeah. Hopefully not in the North London derby. You know what I mean? We cannot just turn around and start saying, right, Okay, this isn't working now. No, and, and there'll be enough people saying that externally. Mm-hmm. I've said this all along, that there'll be a game they lose and it's all like, you can't be, it's disrespectful. Playing that way against that, you've got to yeah. just, sometimes you've got to clear your lines. See your team, I want to disrespect them. Yeah. That's what I want him to say. See that team we lost to, people saying disrespectful. I disrespect them because they're useless, but they never say that in press conferences like I want them to. I mean, that will depend on who they lose to and the nature of that. Yeah. Right? Like if, yeah. if they lose 3-2 to Arsenal... And it's, you know, an absolute humdinger and that both teams give it everything. Then I, I don't think anyone is going to criticise them. And I don't think even Spurs fans would, you know, no. lament them being too wide open. I, I can't really see it. You know, maybe, a, uh, who would it be, like a Villa or someone like or that? Or a Palette. They play yeah. Palace away. You know, maybe you know, they go there and they're trying to attack them. miss chances. And get hit on the break. Get, yeah. And then, then they end up losing the game 3-0 or whatever. Exactly. So it will happen. I mean, but yeah, on, on the pitch, as I, as I mentioned, those running numbers and things like that are part of what have really struck people, I think, when people looking at People have talked about this fullback inversion. How much are they uh, actually doing that? Yeah, a lot. I mean, you look at sort of the, the passing networks which show basically where players are on the pitch or their most frequent passes. I mean, we should say all of this, it is four games in. But but it's what where we do have a fuller picture is when you look at last season. And they really are... Um, it's stark then. The, yeah. The, it, the figures for things like passing in the opposition half are quite extraordinary. Yeah, well, they broke the record and already at in the first game. suffered under a success and a defensive coach the Wolverhampton Wanderers. Yeah, but it passes it's amazing the... to watch teams playing around in the opposition Tim half. Tim is the only person in this room who doesn't think of Nuno and the word suffering in the same sentence. I guess. <laughs> no, no, he doesn't. No. Always great. No, but it, it, Saint it, Nuno. It passes the eye test as well. I remember watching the, the Brentford game, obviously on TV, and you, you, could, you could see seven players, I think, in the Brentford third of the field, and it, it immediately looked so odd to yeah. see that. I mean, yeah, looking at the numbers last season... Uh, PPDA, which basically measures how intense your press is, passes per defensive action. Uh, they had the 14th most active press. I mean, you know, it's lower mid-table. I mean, that's worse than being bottom, isn't it? Because it suggests you're doing nothing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. It's not a strategy. No, it's yeah, not. Yeah, it's if you're just, bottom, it's, it's like we're going to sit off. Yeah. It's just nothing. Field tilt, which is quite a good way. So that basically, the proportion of passes made by both teams in the final third gives you a good sense of who's dominating a game. They were 16th in the league. 16th. Again, you know, and they're up to fifth. If you're 22nd, you can pass it off as a tactical or strategic um, idea you've got. If you're 16, it's just because nothing's working, isn't it? And again, that's what the eye test was saying, was that, you know, territorially they were getting dominated game after game. And it is only four games and they've played teams 
aside from United, who I guess you would expect them to dominate the ball, probably dominate territory. But I would be surprised if this isn't broadly what we're going to see this season. And also that, you know, I know from speaking to people uh, around Spurs, they do they are really intrigued to see what they're like against the team that attacks them and they can hit them on the counter. I don't think playing against a low block necessarily helps them. No, no, but, but you know, the game's coming up against Arsenal and Liverpool. People are saying to me now, not Spurs fans, sagely come up to me very quietly saying, yeah, that'll be the real test. It would have been the real test in any season. And the last three seasons, we would have sat there and waited to lose. I don't. I, yeah. This is a test. I'm looking forward to those games because at least I feel there's an outside chance they might do something. Yeah. Whereas previously, I could predict the results before they went out there, whether it was 1-0 or 3-1. James and I were talking about this the other day. Let's say they lose one of those games and draw one but beat Sheffield United. They'd be on 14 points after their first seven games and that's that's fine. You know, if, if they carry on that kind of form. So they if you get two points per game. Yeah, you're getting seventy six points. You're, you're walking you're, into the Champions League. You're into the Champions League, particularly as I suspect again, Manchester City and possibly <clears throat> Arsenal are gonna suck a lot of points out of this Premier League. And you know, pick will survive at the bottom end with thirty three points. I'm not looking at you uh there, Tim, but you know what I mean. No, that's fine, that's fine. I I, I know what you mean about the Arsenal and, and, and Liverpool games. I mean, I think I think we know that we that they will hurt those teams and and it'll be exciting to watch and it'll be fun. But I'm I'm more intrigued by the Sheffield United and Luton games either, either side of that, to be honest. Burnley was amazing, but we know that Burnley sort of played into Tottenham's hands and a little bit with the highlights as well. Don't forget, yeah, exactly. So it's 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 Sheffield United at home that I'm actually really really looking forward to just to see how they get on against what will be potentially a stubborn. I mean, I'm, I'm, already, I'm already in the mindset where I, we're breezing past Sheffield United. <laughs> oh, good I, God, man. I don't necessarily disagree with that, but. I watched Sheffield United's last game and they conceded two goals against Everton, which, I mean, without Calvert-Lewin. I don't know. I kind of feel like if you're conceding two goals at home to Everton, you're not like an incredible defensive unit. Like they don't strike me as a kind of team that can survive on the basis of an amazing defence. I think Spurs will bat them. They'll sit in and I'm sure Spurs will have loads of the ball and that will present different problems because it's going to be a different kind of game. But I, I, they should easily have enough to win it. Let me ask you, we come back to the Sheffield United game. Let me ask you, Charlie, as a, a third part of your piece, and that is the idea that we're all going, I think it's possible we're all going completely bonkers because of us, as I keep prescribing, the sunlight hitting our face for the first time in three years. We've got to be careful, I think, not to build Postacoglu up into a, into a cult mm. because then we've got no room at all when things go wrong. I mean, not to say sack him, sack him, but to say, well, why didn't we try that or whatever? But his personality... Everybody wants to have a big daddy, don't they? And he, and he, and he, and he kind of, he's kind of a, a big daddy figure. Um, what a terrifying insight. <laughs> yeah, well, it's true, isn't it? Or a, a, an uncle to tell them what to do. People want to be told what they to do. They want to feel safe, yeah. yeah. And I think he, and he gives that impression, you know, he's, his basic philosophy and how he manages people is, you know, you're a sports scientist, you're a nutritionist, whatever it is, you're going to know far more about that than I am. So I'm going to let you get on with it. But... I am going to make the ultimate decision and I'm going to stick to them. And he talked on this Talk Sport interview on Tuesday about how it's about him taking responsibility. And you think about what the last thing Conte did in the job. Which was which to was deny all responsibility. Which was basically throw everyone else under a bus. Like, yeah. It is quite a stark change. I mean, the, the Londoners were surprised at how many buses he was able to get because <laughs> quite a lot of them needed for that amount of under-chucking, wasn't there? Which takes me to his next big job, I guess. And that is uh, Spurs is not quite record signing Richarlison who we saw uh, in the game against Bolivia crying on the bench. And I'm not talking about shedding one tear because someone had stood on his toe. Uh, he was sobbing, wasn't he? And 
In, in his famous interview, he's done with the Brazilian press saying for the last three or four months, there's been things going on in my life that haven't helped. That has now been spread out overnight to, to people in Brazil saying this has been going on for 18 months with him. Not his bad form on the pitch, but his difficult time off it. Given the Spurs don't employ a full-time psychologist, which to my mind is insane, but I spoke, spoke to a psychologist about this this very morning on TalkSport who said he was told by a Premier League club, we can't hire you, a very famous one, we can't hire you because the players will just laugh behind your back. I think we all commend him uh, for his bravery and the, the fact that this is sort of a big story because it's so unusual. You know, you just don't hear players talk like this. You hear them say it maybe a couple of years later or after their career's in finished. Their book, oh, yes. you know, I was going through a tough time. But for him to be in this moment and, and basically saying it's a it's a cry for it's literally a cry for help. Um, so I commend him for that, and I completely agree with what you said. Actually, obviously, society's moving on, you know, fairly quickly on mental health, but you do kind of wonder if dressing rooms and terraces uh, are still pretty behind on this type of thing mm. um so yeah i hope I, and, and i agree with you the fact that they that spurs and the majority of clubs don't have a full-time psychologist available to players with all the burdens that they're put under um just in general from playing football but you know with social media of the past few years adding to that it's um it, the, the, it's it's astonishing that spotlight like this on it's them it's one so. of those things that when does when everybody's happy it looks like a terrible cost on your spreadsheet the second there's a problem not having one looks like an even bigger cost, you know. I, I mean, I'd actually take a slightly different view on that, I think. I, oh, I, I. I mean, I, I think Charlie or Tim will correct me if I'm wrong, but I think our understanding is Spurs policy is if a player wants to speak to someone, they will facilitate that of immediately course, yes. and bring someone in. Uh, but if you're going to put yourself into therapy, like you want to have those conversations with someone you're comfortable having a conversation with. So like for there to be someone foisted upon you by the club. I know what James means in that you might feel you want a little bit more Distance, yeah, I took a bit almost. Of distance, I think. Yeah. Like, you can almost see like that. That if your problems are both within and outside football, like, do you want this, mm. those conversations to be happening at the club or through the club? You or don't mind me saying this is a shot of the club. Like, yeah. like you want. But this is what's interesting, actually, is on this, like, because Tim and I are working on a piece on Richarlison and, and all the issues right. it thrown up, and. Uh, I spoke to Natalie Jedra, who's been on the pod before, and she and was, was saying, brilliant about it, yeah. yeah, and and she was saying how it is more, it's slightly more normalised next week to, Natalie, yeah. to talk about this very issue, yeah, uh, and how it is a bit more normalised in countries like Brazil to talk about this sort of thing. Obviously, it's still a big taboo, you know, but it's not the way we're talking about it. Maybe does reflect our slight British sensibilities. There has been a change. We wouldn't have had this conversation ten years no. ago. I think the way we would have had a conversation would have been very different. I, I think now what we're saying is like, I, I mean, actually, I, it was kind of impressive. It was almost quite a matter of fact in the way he talked about it. Like it wasn't like, I, it didn't feel like this was like a massive like unleashing of like loads of like emotional turmoil onto people. It was like an yeah. acknowledgement of this, this was the thing he was doing and that it was yeah. the thing that people do and that is the way it should be. People uh, should feel and also they can talk about that and take that approach. And that is the thing that will help other people. And he shouldn't be doing this to help other people. He should be doing it to help himself. But he's speaking about it in that way. Uh, and whatever these background issues are, if he's recognised that they are contributing, so what is... He just looks so desperate to me on the pitch now. You know, he's got talent, he's got skill. He's not displaying them because he's trying to do three things at once. The ball is coming to him. And I, I, he looked, you know, over-trying is a simplific uh, an oversimplification, but he, he just, he's not making the natural movements of a gifted footballer, is he? Yeah. He's 
clutching at I, things. I know, I know what you things. mean, but there there is obviously a lot more to that. And he's and he's stated, you know, that the personal issues that are at play here, which obviously, you know, every single case is individual and very different. So we can make sweeping statements, but you know, the, this, the individual case is always going to need, you know, different advice and different yes, treatment. But yeah, James did inadvertently make a good point earlier when <laughs> when you were saying about about the club thing. I so as, as part count. of this. Um, as part of this piece that Charlie mentioned, I spoke to Paul McVeigh, a uh, former yep. Spurs youngster, Norwich striker, who's now unbelievably successful in the world of sort of uh, mental health and performance related. Self-help, um, all sorts of things. You know, he's, he's in the corporate world because he got disillusioned with, with the football world. He was a, 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 a sort of performance psychologist at a couple of Premier League clubs and said that players gave so little of a damn that he just felt his work was going unrewarded. Gary Bloom, I was talking to earlier on, who's been a pioneer in this area, he said Premier League clubs... They, they they hide behind the players will laugh at you. We've got to break this circle yeah, somewhere. Yeah, he echoed that as well. But w- what I did say to come out to my point from what James said is that um, if if this is if a, if a club psychologist is, is involved with the management team, then if if a player like when a player has a slight hamstring strain and doesn't want to reveal it, if a player reveals that he's got something going on, you know, mentally, then that might jeopardise his place in the team. And that's as as we know. Footballers yeah. will do everything mm-hmm. to keep their place in the team for for a variety of reasons. So if you do have a club psychologist, then that 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 adds another facet to it. But that is just on that, like the the sort of showing weakness. I think that is. I remember doing a big thing in tennis, and obviously tennis is an individual sport, so it's different. But they was a lot of players I spoke to were saying you don't want to, you certainly don't want it known because you're worried that other players might sort of take advantage of that. And I guess footballers as well might have a similar perception whether that's internally or externally you know and and that i think until it's more normalized that that is going to be a concern for some of them and without wanting to be a, a sort of a a little saint here let's just hope that on her personal level first of all that uh, Richarlison who we know from Natalie is the very definitive good bloke you know, you know he just is and um, whether you like his chicken dance or not, he just is a good bloke. People who know him personally say... It's a pigeon, mate. Let's hope he gets sorted out. We know there's a good player in there. Um, let's um, move into the cosy stages of today's podcast, um, which, again, I reiterate, so so enjoyable doing it in the room with you all, um, although I can't sit here in just a shirt and slippers and do it, you know, like I do normally. Um, some, uh, let, one or two of you can answer, the, or you don't have to all answer these. Let, listeners' questions, um, you know how to get in touch with. We've got the Twitter site and our email address these days. I'll give you those out in a few minutes' time. Pat Glennon asks, um, on Hugo making the 25, is it just that Loris has eaten humble pie and decided if he can't be number one anyway, he's willing to go, uh, to, to go that maybe pushing for number two at Spurs in such a bad gig? I don't know. He didn't get signed up, Tim. Um, and he's still, you know, I still think he's a pretty good goalkeeper. And what, why, of course we're going to include him. Well, I, th- I thought it was a bit weird that the suggestion was that, you know, that there was a very different school of thought last week that he wasn't going to be in the squad. Um, and Postacogli pretty much went on record to say that, you know, he, he wouldn't be, which did seem odd to me because if, going back to the dire argument earlier, if Vicario gets injured... Then okay, Fraser Forster acquitted himself pretty well last season, but I'd 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 still rather have Hugo Lloris in goal, um, and then when you got yeah Brandon Austin and Alfie Whiteman as well, but it's it's not it's not much of a debate in my mind. It's the fun modern if, world, isn't it, where you've got two experienced international goalkeepers on the bench and a person who hasn't played for his country between the sticks. Yeah, exactly. So it, it, it's 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 yeah, 
it's not much of an argument for me that of course you'd have him in. Obviously, there's the issue with the amount the amount of foreign players they can have in their squad, but then that no longer became an issue. James's spreadsheet uh, worked that out. Um, <laughs> Which so, you sent to Big Anne. Would you have Larice on the bench? Let's do this. Would you have Larice on the bench, like from April? Maybe not this weekend because maybe there's fitness or sharpness or whatever. But Danny, would you have Larice on the yes. bench? Charlie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of us would. Then. So that makes perfect sense. Then if he's there. Have him, have him up there as 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 a, as a resource. Yeah, because I think, like, I mean, as, yeah. as much as he he dropped off, and we've talked about that loads of times. Like, I don't think there's anyone who felt that Fraser Forster, with all due respect, did enough in those mm. what, ten games or whatever, no. it was, whatever it was to dislodge him if he came back fit. And three the months more of Vicario having one of the world's great goalkeepers of the past ten years. Uh, they're no, that's, in training that's it. every day that, and that's it if, if he was being a knobhead and he wasn't training properly and he needed to train on his own then okay that's completely well, then he different been 25, but, 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 yeah. by, by all accounts even before this announcement he's been training very well he's been turning up every day he's getting on well with everybody so so there's no problem happening and that's the thing actually just on going back to the culture point they, there hasn't been like a bomb squad that other managers at Spurs have had where you know the players that aren't in the team or match their squads are getting banished all of those players have trained have been training with the first team so you know Lloris, Dyer whoever it is and I do think that is quite important in not creating that Once they got division. in Dombley off the books, everything was okay again then, was it? I think even Tongi was uh, was training with the first Oh, team. Jack Pitbrook is probably still hoping for a big comeback yeah, in he's Turkey. Not, he's not anymore. He has now no, gone. But. Right, but I mean, he, he's hoping that he'll pick up in Turkey and then yeah, get him back true. again. Still have one more year, I suppose. Here's a lovely question then from Simon Hulbert on Twitter who asks, what is your favourite literal actual view from the lane? I'll start with you, Charlie. Press box next. Yeah, yeah. Probably You've only got pre- one view, haven't you? <laughs> Probably the press box. Who yeah. sits in front of you in the press box? Who's back of the head can you see in every game? Who sits in front? Not Custis. But... He's huge. No, it's I don't know who sits in front, but it's always Tim or Jack next to me, and then Dan Kilpatrick on my other side. It's a great spot. Or the or the away the, reporter, yeah, or it can be the away. Yeah, if it's not Tim or Jack, it'll be the away reporter next to me. Craig which is always or fun. someone, yeah. Well, no, one of the athletics uh, oh. other correspondents, which is always nice. Oh, you've nice. got your own special suite of of seats, have we? Yeah, basically, yeah. Us then Dan, and then there's Football London and PA. All the non-papers, all of us. Sort yeah, of. The, the good things. Yes. Tim, I guess you've got the same the issue. You're always looking for a press spot, are you? I've not been in the away end. I've not sat anywhere else other than that press box. I'd like to, though. I'm going to do the tour at some point. You, you, I, you I do, do the Sky to... Tour? Yeah, yeah, I want to do it, yeah. Okay, good. Has, has anyone... No, one no, done I, was, no. Uh, I was invited to do it and couldn't. I, w- I was up for it. I, uh, I like my uh, spot down in the... Hang on, I was trying to work out. Was that southeast corner? I mean, that was the only place I've been. I've, I've been in the kind of West upper tier a couple of times for a couple of cup games. But I, I like being near the pitch too much. I can't. I don't really like being up. Like, I know there are people that love being high up and so you can see the whole game, unfo- the game unfold, but I like feeling... But you do analysing football for a living. You don't. You want to be near as the... I want to the, feel the, like the, I the can, like... The snorting breath, yeah. Like, affect the game almost. By oh, being so hang on, hold up. Do, do you know what I mean? Suck the ball like you, but you, you do kind of feel like when you're close, you feel like you can... Be the top like, man. Like my tactical insights are going to be useful to the so players. So they can hear, no, they can hear you. Do you ever actually advise the players? I, I've done my Asuakati story before, right, about him never knowing when it was an inverted winger and people in our old block in the old block 26 or White Hut Lane having to shout, it's he's Damien, it's Damien Duff, he's left-footed, he's going to cut inside every time. And, and like obviously, because it was Asuakati, he didn't ever watch football, he never knew. <laughs> like he couldn't re- then recognise Damien Duff the next time around. So every time it's Fulham at home, yeah, it was. It was everyone was like, "Yeah, that's Damien Duff, left footed," and he just like nodded, like, "Yep." Yeah. 
It's funny because it must be the left back saying because in the old ground you were so near the pitch. I'm pretty sure Danny Rose could hear me advising him about, particularly in the early days at Spurs, about getting inside his player rather than outside and relying on his pace to make that extra two yards recovery. These players are too good, Danny. You need to get inside them. Now, of course, he started turning up to do shifts at Talk Sport, and I'm terrified he's going to recognise my voice. <laughs> no, Danny, get nearer the microphone. Yeah. You're off mic, man. Um, and as for me, uh, you know, I've got, I've got to be honest here. I loved every corner of the old ground, and I love being in the new ground. But to me, it's the outside. My favourite view of, of, of the White Art Lanes yeah. is as you approach them, particularly at night when they're lighting the sky up around you and the familiar pubs drip past you as you're walking up the Seven Sister Road and the Chick King is in the distance and people are, in the, in the, particularly in the winter, they're huddled in, in their clothing, just a flash of navy blue or white on, the, on something they bought at the club ground or a scarf. And, and as you get closer and closer to the ground, that feeling of event that you get, and you know, I'm making, making what hair I've got standing on, on the top of my head now, just that feeling of going to a football stadium, which I, which I get... Everywhere at the time I go to a, a, a night match, particularly a, a, a football ground, I remember going to see England play Italy in the Stadio Olimpico in Rome, that famous game, 97. 97, yeah, yeah. The walk through those, because that's in the kind of back street area of Rome, the walk to that stadium, the stadium is buried in the ground like a proper coliseum. So the, the top of the stadium, because it's vast, the top of the stadium is level with the local houses, which is two up, two down. And then you realise this massive light is coming out of the ground and it was really, really intense experience. It's the same. Every ground I go to late at night, I, I think, is beautiful to walk towards. But when it's your home ground, when it's Spurs, and I'm hopefully going to see those white shirts do something fantastic, that um, where's that, that was um, from um, Simon Hulbert. That, Simon, is for me almost... Well, of course, I don't have to pay the 70 quid. I could just do that and not go into the ground. Well, but, can, I give, <laughs> can I give you another one then? So yeah. if, you, if you come off uh, the train or the tube at Tottenham Hale... Yeah. And you walk through that park. I think it's called Down Lane Park. Yeah. You kind of go through on the diagonal. And you can see now the new ground and like the cockerel on the top of that stand. And like, yeah, if it's midweek, an evening game, it's dark. The light emanating out in that amazing shape. Uh, from that distance, that's really cool. But also from the back of that stand, you can see like right into London. You can see like the Shard and Canary Wharf and I think you see like West Ham and stuff. Like you can see like a whole kind of panorama Vista, of, yeah. yeah, Vista, I yeah, think you, of, of London. It's, it's interesting amazing. you say that, Danny. I, I, I am no Spurs fan, but I was chatting to a friend just last night and he was kind of asking me what it's like to cover Spurs. And I said, yeah, one of my favourite things is walking down Tottenham High Road and then the ground appears. Literally, literally just as oh, you it described looms. it. That's it literally what, what I said to him last night. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah, I don't think, even though the ground is twice the size as what it was before, I don't think you see the ground when you walk that way from Seven Sisters. I don't think you see the ground any earlier than no, you, you did don't. before. No, I think I think it, it's it's so much bigger. There's more light, so I, I get you get more ambient yeah, light yeah, as yeah. you as you're approaching it. But there's a feeling, isn't there? The intensity, the quickening of the footstep as people get towards the ground. It, I'm glad you've noticed it as well, Tim, because it, that long straight road leading to something. We're all very human. That's a good thing, and of course. All football grounds, you know, the, the churches, Christian and otherwise, know that darkness plus light plus noise uh, affects the human spirit. I mean, some some horrible forces in the middle of the last century understood that just as well. Football grounds are now one of the last places where you can get that sense of community and noise and light all at once. Which takes us around then to what's already been a hugely controversial um, subject, Spurs against Sheffield, Sheffield United, Saturday 3pm. There's an odd time to be having a football match, but there it is. Is it because of train strikes? They've moved it to a normal time. Um, this was the fixture that ended Pochettino's uh, time at Spurs. 
Or I think that was the home game against Bayern Munich. It, it, the body had to be removed from the premises, but I, I don't think it was that Okay, picture. this was the final nail. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's in fair. In that particular coffin. That's fair. We've already discussed this. You think they're going to absolutely walk it. I assume they're going to walk it. Others are not so sure. Uh, I think it could be a difficult afternoon. I mean, it's set up to be that way. But miserable, misanthropic git. No, uh, no, I'm, I'm starting. Explain yourself. I'm, I, I don't know. Just, just uh, everything's just been going a little bit too well before the international break. Don't, um, don't, don't. <laughs> he, he does get spurs. <laughs> oh. no, I guess, I guess the, you know the big thing is um, in terms of selecting his front three, right? So is he um, is he going to stick with Solomon or does Richarlison come in? Um, or Johnson get debut? Or does Johnson get debut? Pick the same three that started at Burnley. I think the same. I think... Um, I'm not sure. I, I yeah, was quite sold by Tim's Horses for Courses. It feels uh, like a Richarlison game yeah, to me. I can't but, get but it's But it obviously... Richarlison's lying on a couch somewhere. But obviously that that's it. it, it it's it's how Postacoglu sees him and how he speaks to him in the next couple of days. Is he is he even in the right sort of frame Do of mind? you know mind? what? If he says he wants to play, then he should be, he should be I think... Allowed to be, you know, be in yeah, the squad if, and picked if, on if, if, if he's happy to play, yeah, and and Boscock wants an aim on the team on a tactical level, then. But we're anticipating yeah, you know, he will want to play. We're, we're, we're anticipating he scored in the last game he started for Spurs. Yeah, yeah, we're and, and with, he came we, out for the last with, with, with the kind of goal that you might expect that you know he might score on Saturday if if Sheffield United got more of a, a low block, you know, crosses to the back post. Um, you need someone across the ball in the team for that though, which they don't. Get Perisic on. It's had a very, very good international break, by the way, Perisic. Made a number of goals with superb crosses. Not against great opposition again, that's fair to say. The difference between the low block games of, that you watched during your storied spell as a Spurs correspondent and now is Madison. They have another way of attacking this a wall. Actually, this is the game. I mean, look, for, you know, for, despite him scoring against Bournemouth and um, Burnley, Burnley and getting two assists. Those are away games at home where they all sit there. These are the games he's here for, right? These are the, the Unpicking the lock is what they've signed him for, really. It's not for scoring one or five goals at Brentford or, you know, Brilliant. being on the end of well. a really good move yeah. at Bournemouth. It's for unpicking the lock against a team that come in defence. So, yeah, you're right, Danny, actually. This is this is a really good game to, like, closely watch Madison, Tim. Uh, just letting you in on my editorial process there. <laughs> um <laughs> Because yeah, yeah it's going to rather less brutal than it's been described to me, I must say. But go on. I've at least not threatened to, you know, to, what was it I said to Charlie about his appraisal that time? I mean, that was pretty. That was pretty bleak. I don't it? remember that. We mustn't. What we mustn't do on this, I guess, to end this uh, is to think too much about the North London derby. I hope that one of the things that uh, the players and I think footballs are very good at this. Uh, it's very annoying for you lot who have to get stories for for football publications and websites and things that they won't think about the future one game at a time is very much the thing at this stage isn't it they're learning the new systems and all the rest of it they can't be thinking about Arsenal and Liverpool try and beat Sheffield United because everything else will look after itself after these games it's yeah. easy with a game a week as well right? Exactly, I mean, this is probably yeah. the, actually these next three games are probably the big kind of test of that because Arsenal play in Europe in midweek before the North Arsenal London play Derby. twice after Spurs play yeah and Liverpool will play midweek in Europe and then in the League Cup obviously Spurs very cleverly got themselves knocked out of that so you know Liverpool will play like four times before Spurs play once uh, twice before that so uh, there will be quite a big difference and that might be in those two games maybe where we start to see the benefit of this 40, yeah. 40 game season the benefit of having a time in the training ground which you're not wasting yeah. by talking about playing 10 at the back and cringing in front of the opposition if he can be thinking about ways that it might hurt the opposition. you still got to defend. Either way, you've got to defend your goal. 
I mean, no matter how you choose to, st- to line up, you still have to defend the goal properly. So give yourself the best chance by saying we're going to be forward-looking. And if, they get, if they're good enough to beat us, then so be it. Um, listen, it's been a, a real joy. Thank you all um, for allowing me into your lovely studio here in central London. For simply the best Spurs coverage from these gents and others, make sure you sign up to The Athletic. Take advantage of our limited time offer, just £1 a month for 12 months. There's your bargain of bargains, by the way. Simply go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod to subscribe. See you after the victory against Sheffield United. The Athletic.